0: Let's pray together. God, it is so good to feel you inhabiting the praise of your people this morning. Thank you, God, that uh, we can come before you with boldness because you have conquered. You have conquered death and the grave and you have promised us that we do not need to be afraid, that we do not need to be anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer, And asking you, with thanksgiving, we can bring our requests to you, knowing that the peace, your peace, that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in you, in Christ Jesus. So God, I bring to you um, the craziness of this world. On this huge level, Lord, I just pray for your peace. I pray for an outpouring of your spirit in a world that is filled right now with hatred and enmity, and violence, and death, and hatred. I pray, Lord, for an outpouring of your spirit throughout this this globe, that people would choose not death, but life, that people would choose not violence, but peace, that people would choose not the things of this world, but the things of your kingdom. And God, while we're not in control of the things that happen in this world, here we are walking right here in the middle of Iowa. And in this world, Lord, we rub shoulders with so many other people, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our community members. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us will be a light shining in the darkness, that by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, others would see you in us and that we would have the opportunity Lord, to be the royal priesthood you call us to be and see people come to your light and your love through your spirit in us. And I pray right now for everyone in this room, Lord. We all bring our anxieties. We all bring our stuff. So just, God, meet us this morning. Remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness, and I pray, Lord, that we would continue to put our trust and our faith in you as we pray together, just as you taught us to pray, and if you don't know the prayer, the words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to be in Revelation Chapters 19 and 20. This morning, we're getting close. We'll be wrapping up uh, our study of Revelation, and uh, so we're getting right towards the end. And I'm, I'm afraid that I've got to start this morning with some bad news. And here's the bad news: you are going to die. You are, I don't know when. We like to think that we'll live to 70, 80, 90. We like to think we'll have a full life, but that's not guaranteed. Everyone in this room is going to die. This day was not promised to you, nor is tomorrow. You know, a couple of years ago, we went through a season here at church, for those of you who might not have gone to third for very long. Uh, A few years ago, we went through, I don't know, like 150 or 200 funerals in the matter of like just over a year. We had people dying in our church like we've never seen before. We had people, loved ones in this room who died. Pastor Kevin and Lane's son, Kirk, died at a young age. Just this last year, we lost a five-year-old girl in our community. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. Because that's, that's the story. So... As we get into the end of the story, I wanna go back to the beginning of the story. Because at the beginning of the story, in the book of Genesis, we have Adam and Eve, male and female. God gives us this beautiful picture of the two becoming one, and they are with God in the garden. So you have two becoming one, and then the two are each one with God, so we have this beautiful picture of what? A circle of love, a holy trinity. I and you and you and me and me and him and him and you. That's the beauty of it. And so there in the garden, evil comes in and tempts Adam and Eve. They choose sin. So what is sin? Sin is just knowing I'm not supposed to do it and choosing to do it anyway. That's really what sin is. They knew they weren't supposed to eat of the fruit, and they did. And in Genesis 3, chapter, or verse 19, God curses Adam. He curses the, the, the snake, evil one, Satan, puts curses on the woman, curses on Adam because of sin. And then he expels them out of the garden into exile in this world, this earth. And this earth God says, is the dominion of the evil one. Because God has given the evil one dominion. And in this sinful world, we have people, ourselves, that choose time and time again to do the thing that God tells us not to do. The thing that we know, and the evil one is there, saying, hey, wherever God is trying to push life, the evil one's trying to push death. Wherever God is trying to push peace, the evil one's pushing violence. Wherever God is pushing love, the evil one is pushing hatred. Where, where, yes, wherever God is pushing patience, evil is pushing anger and bitterness and strife. So we've got this problem. The problem is threefold, kind of like the, the unholy trinity. The problem is sin, number one, because we choose to do what God doesn't tell, tells us not to do. The second problem is death because in verse 19 of chapter three of Genesis, God says, to the dust you are going to return. To the ground that I made you out of, you are going to die and return to that dust. So we have a death problem. How do we get past death back to God? And number three, we have an evil problem, which is the evil one. So we live in this world with these three problems. And this entire great story, from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, is the story of God. God's salvation bringing us back into that relationship with him. That's what the story is all about. And it's about it through the whole thing. And once you begin to understand that, that overarching story, then all of the little stories begin to start to fall into place. And one of the things that we've been talking about in this Book of Revelation series is that if you don't know the whole story, you're not gonna understand the Book of Revelation. Because the book of the Revelation is just a bunch of hundreds of connections back to the rest of the story in the Old Testament and in Jesus' Gospels. So today, as we get into the chapters 19 and, and 20, we're really looking at one thing, and that is this: Jesus Christ saving you and me from the death and judgment that we deserve because of our sin. So let's dive into it, okay? Three things today, for those of you who are writing notes. Wedding, word, and the great white throne. Wedding, word, and the great white throne. So in chapter 18, we've just seen the end of the the empire Babylon, this, this, this beast that represents the empires of this world that stand in opposition to all that God is doing. See, Satan has dominion, so he raises up the empires of the world because the kingdoms of this world are under his dominion. And the kingdoms of the world stand in opposition to what God is trying to do. So Babylon is thrown, the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the abyss. And now at the beginning, we've got this hallelujah, this fourfold hallelujah. In heaven, after Babylon, the beast is thrown into, uh, into the abyss, it says hallelujah, salvation. So circle that one, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation and glory, and what is glory? Glory is the radiant light of God. And light is pure energy. Pure energy is the light of God. That's his glory. And power. And isn't it interesting, how how long have we been talking about the fact that the the kingdoms of this world are always power down. We're gonna dictate to you. We're gonna force you to do what we want you to do. But God is power up. (laughs) And so these kingdoms are trying to wield their power. But guess what? Salvation and light and real power belong to God. So as we get to the end, what we're really seeing in these two chapters is the answer to how long, oh Lord? How long till you make things right? How long? until this is over. I, anybody else been screaming that with me in your spirit the last couple weeks? What do we do with evil? I mean, a couple weeks ago when I preached, I talked about how it, the worship of Molech back in Mesopotamia, they would sacrifice children. And then I just read this week about, about throwing, putting babies in ovens and roasting them alive in front of their parents? What do we do with the world that only understands power and violence and force? How long, oh God, do we have to put up with this? So these two chapters are the chapters saying, God is going to finally make things right. Let's keep going. Uh, down to verse 3. They shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke goes up forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Because why? Because evil is going to be done with for, forever. Hallelujah. Praise our God, all you servants, for him, great and small. Then I heard a multitude say, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns. Now we get to verse 7. And here where we get number one, wedding. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Down to verse nine. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Now, again, so let's go back, let's think about this. Back to the garden. What was the picture we talked about? A male and female. It's a picture of marriage. Leave her mother and father. Woman, leave her home. The two become one flesh. The two are one with with God. That's the harmony. That's the relationship. Now, we get into the Exodus in God comes to his people in slavery in Egypt and does what? He delivers her, (laughs) his people, and makes them a nation and wants to do something different through them. And it's a picture Uh, It's really the picture of a groom coming for his bride and rescuing her and then giving to her, protecting her, providing for her. And we see that picture in the Exodus. Now go to the prophets. And in the prophets, the prophets began to talk about the fact that God's people were his bride. And God, metaphorically, is the groom. I've been reading Hosea in my uh, chapter a day blog at TomBanderwell.com, uh, just got into the book of Hosea. So what happens, now we've got God's people who are supposed to be his bride, but they went after other idols, that's sin. What I really should do is just worship God alone. But no, then the people here, we got Baal, we've got all these other gods, so they went after all these other gods, and God said, that's just like committing adultery. I'm supposed to, you're supposed to be mine alone. So in the book of Hosea, it's kind of a weird, it's crazy thing, but God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go marry a promiscuous, adulterous woman. Can you imagine how his mother felt about that? And then I want you to name your children, yep, not mine, not loved, that's what you can name your children. Why? Because I want, Hosea, I want your entire life to be a metaphor of what's going on between my people, my bride, and in this, in this world, in this space. And even, and Hosea, even though you have this promiscuous, adulterous wife, you're going to love her. You're going to keep, have patience with her. You're going to, why? Yes, because that's the way God is treating us. So we got this picture of this wedding. Now Jesus comes, and Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in terms of a bride and her groom. Two parables that Jesus tells. One of them, uh, he says, the groom uh, comes down and has his bride, gonna have the wedding, and invites all of the important elite, powerful, wealthy, famous, popular influencers and he invites them all to the wedding. And guess what? They don't come. Why? Because the world stands in opposition to the things that God wants to do. So the powerful and the wealthy and the popular and the influencers of this world, they don't care about what God is doing. So what does God do? The bridegroom says, go, go out into the streets, into the highways, into the poor areas, and anyone who wants to come in. I don't care if they're poor, I don't care what's happened. To them, I don't care who they are, how poor they are, how destitute they are, how evil, I just, if they wanna come, bring them in. And what was Jesus saying? Anyone who wants to come to me, doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, you're invited to the wedding. And then he tells another story, and this is about virgins who, um, the, way, things, the way weddings worked in the, uh, in the days of Jesus was, uh, the bridegroom could show up at any time. Didn't know when the groom was necessary, we didn't, didn't have wedding coordinators that had a date and a schedule like we do today. So it could happen any time, and often it happened at night. So the groom and his family and friends would show up at the the bride's house and then the, the virgins, the young women of the woman's household, the bride's household would have these lamps at night and they would carry the lamp with the wedding procession to the actual wedding and to the wedding feast. Why? Because they're not married. So the lamp would illuminate for all the eligible groomsmen, here I am, ready to be married. Good thing. And Jesus said that there were these virgins, and some of them were like, The groom is never coming. Groom's never coming. <laughs> so they didn't buy oil for their lamps. And then in the middle of the night, the groom showed up, and they went, over like, Oh, give me, give, me the oil. give me the oil. And it was like, No, go get it yourself. What was Jesus' idea of the parable? The groom is going to come, and you have to be ready for the groom to come. Now, one more thing I'm gonna, overarching. I shared this a couple weeks ago. I'm gonna go back to it, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But the entire story is really like a Near East Mesopotamian ancient wedding. Because in that culture, when the woman is of marital age, the groom decides, okay, I want her for my wife. The groom comes to the father's house of the bride, woos her, makes the match. They are now betrothed, but they're not married yet. They're betrothed. The man then goes back home and he and his father work to add on to the the groom's family home to make a place for the bride. And when that place is finished, when the groom's got everything ready, set up for his bride, the father says, okay, yep, you're ready. You can go get your bride. So he goes back to the bride's house with his entourage, takes his, wife marries her and brings her back to her, his father's house. Anybody catching this? So when humanity got to the point of, of this uh, place of accountability, and I think as, as humanity grew, it got to the place where it's like humanity itself in the life cycle of this great story is like ready. So Jesus comes as the bridegroom to do what? To betroth himself to us. And then what did he say? I am going to leave you. I am going to what? Prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be also. And when my father, because nobody knows the day or time, But as I'm preparing this place for you, the father, who's the only one who knows, because what? The father's the only one that can say, okay, you're ready. At some point, the father is gonna say you're ready and I am going to come back for my bride and we're going to have a wedding feast. So what what Revelation is saying here is that at the end of things, Jesus is coming back for his bride. And we will have a wedding feast in heaven. It's a beautiful picture. So, don't we wanna be part of that? Absolutely. Well, let's go on. Now it switches. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true With justice, he judges and wages war. Remember that God Almighty is the just one. With justice, he wages war. Against who? Against the prince of this world and the kingdoms of this world that are set in opposition to everything that he wants to do. It's the answer to how long, oh Lord? And what he is saying is there will be a day when I do away with evil. Sin, death, evil. And what we're saying right here is Jesus is saying at some point I am going to deal once and for all with the evil problem. So keep going here. His eyes are like blazing fire, his heads have many crowns, his name is written on him that no one knows but he himself, he's dressed in a robe dipped with blood. Why? Because he shed his blood for us. It's kind of the same thing when it said the lamb on the throne, looked like it had been slain, it had blood all over it, same metaphor. And his name is what, say it with me, word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, verse 15, Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Now here's one of the things that has been interesting with uh, our daughters and their generation is the antipathy that is felt by the millennial generation and some of the Gen X Gen Z to this kind of militant metaphorical God that, that we read about in scripture. But I want you to understand something. God, as Isaiah said, God's ways are not our ways. And when Jesus comes to wage war and to do away with evil, what does he do? It's not with a sword like we have. Remember when Jesus was in the garden, he said, put away your sword, Peter going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. How is he going to wage war? We have a God, the word of God, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say? Let there be light. God created the universe with his word. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus says to the raging storm, Peace! And the storm immediately goes away. Jesus says to the demons, leave! And they leave. Jesus stands before Lazarus' grave and says, Lazarus, come on out of there! And the dead man walks again. Jesus said, after he said to Peter, put away your sword, don't you know that at my word, I could have 12 legions of angels come down and rescue me from the cross. At my word. So when Jesus comes to deal with evil, what he does is speak. That's what he does. And notice here when he comes down to uh, verse 16, he has a name written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I think that's connected to Philippians chapter two because I believe that at this moment when he comes back to deal with evil, I, I wonder if the word that he speaks is his name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. Everyone bows, and evil will be forced, doesn't have a choice anymore to fall prostrate before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Skip down to verse 21. Notice here again the rest were killed with the sword, which is what? His word. His words. So now we have Satan thrown into the abyss with Babylon, with the beast for a thousand years. We get to the end, let's pick up verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled, from his presence, there was no place for them. And I saw another book open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. The book, God's book of life is first mentioned by Moses in chapter 32 of Exodus. The book is mentioned in the Psalms. Jesus mentions it. And the book of Revelation talks about it multiple times that there is a book And whoever's name is in that book, Paul wrote to the uh, church in Philippi about it. I want to read from, uh, I've quoted this several times, but I just find it so fascinating. Uh, Imagine Heaven by John Burke Study people who have died clinically, heart stop, no brainwave. They literally died, came back to life and then talked about their experiences on the other side. They're called near-death experiences, or NDEs. So let me read about a woman who was on her way home with her siblings singing uh, Silent Night. Um, And her brother, Gary, heard a scream and a loud explosion. There was a car crash. Uh, He felt a shearing shot of of pain, and then as soon as he felt that pain, it was over. He says, quote, I then began walking on a green, lush carpet of grass that covered the hillside. Looking down, I noticed that the grass came all the way through my feet, (laughs) and there was no indentations where I had just walked. From the the hill, I viewed the outer portion of a magnificent city. We're gonna learn that about next week. After marveling at the beauty of the city, he made his way up to the city gate. An angel came through the gate and he was checking the pages of a book that he was carrying. He then nodded to the giant angel, confirming I could go into the city. Suddenly, there in front of me stood my best friend John who had been decapitated, but now was whole. His eyes sparkled with life as we embraced. John told me he had wonderful things to show me. He took me to a very large building that looked like a library, and the walls were solid gold and sparkled with a dazzling display of light that loomed up high to a crystal dome ceiling, and I saw hundreds and hundreds of volumes of books, and many angels, we're there reading the contents of the books john explained to me that the books contain a record of every person's life that has ever been born throughout all of history everything we do here on earth is recorded in these books good bad everything when jesus said you will be held accountable for every word that you have ever spoken. It was written, because he knows it's all being written. It's all there. One other experience here. 13 year old girl dies in a pool accident and she found herself at the city gates where she sees books and an old friend. Quote, I was waiting in line at first behind all these people, and then it was my turn. And I was standing in front of this big guy, she's 13 years old, big guy, (laughs) who I think was an angel. And he was holding a big book. And the angel guy asked me my name, and I told him. And when he looked for it, he said, I'm sorry but it's not your time. So I said to him, why is it not my time? I'm ready to die. My life sucks. My best friend died five years ago. Why is it not my time? And then he turned around as if someone was talking to him and he turned back around to me and he said, someone wants to talk to you. Then he pointed to the gate and the city behind it. It was Jake. Jake was my best friend. He died in a car accident five years ago. We were both seven years old, and when I saw him there, I ran to the gate as fast as I could. We both reached out and grabbed each other's hands and cried. He looked my age, but I knew it was him. And I feel stupid saying this, but he got kind of cute since the last time I saw him. (laughs) And then we talked a while about things that happened, about each other, and the angel said, it's time for you to go back. Another teenager who drowned explains, quote, "Uh, my angels did not like my response of, I don't want to go back down there. (laughs) I don't want to go back to earth. It's painful. You must. Your mission is not complete. We communicated telepathically. There were no mouth or lip movements. All thoughts. Moment by moment, you discover how quickly you're just gaining this knowledge and how easy this is to accept. My three angels sought permission from above to show me something. And what looked like a huge, four-foot-thick book was a book of my life. Just as my life had passed before my eyes when I was being drowned, I was now being shown my future life. There is a book, there are books. The Bible talks about it from the Old Testament all the way through the New. God has given us a glimpse and we say, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Why, why is God taking his time? Well, Peter said that God, he's not slow, he's patient. And I love what Kevin said a couple weeks ago. When he said, scripture multiple times says, a day to the Lord, like a thousand years. A thousand years is just like a day. Since Jesus rose from the dead, It's been two days in heaven. And Peter said, he's not slow, he's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but that all might repent and have their name written in the book. Worship team, come on up. So this morning... I just I want to say the book of revelation is not about condemnation it's about salvation when god comes to judge he does so to judge evil and death and to deal with the sin problem and that gives every person an opportunity to choose love over hate and life over death and forgiveness over bitterness. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, there's the word again, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And you believe in your heart that he is exactly who he said he was, that he rose from the dead and he is someday coming to make everything right and someday we will stand before him. You, the Bible says, will be saved. So when you get there and the books are open and several people talk about it in their near death experiences as well, that that people are given this review of their entire life. Their life literally, like, and it's, it's wild, because they say, I, ex- I relived my entire life in a moment. Good, bad, one guy goes, you know, all the sexual thoughts I could never control, all of the mean things I said. He talks about, you know, when he treated his stepmom with such contempt and was awful to her. All of the things, all at once, but people talk about, as they're experiencing all this, and they're seeing all the bad things they said, and all the bad things they'd done, and all the bad things they thought, there is just this incomparable love surrounding them. And instead of feeling shame, all they're feeling is that the love for them that overcomes their sin. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, your name gets added to the book of life. So have you asked Christ Jesus to be your Lord? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you, more than just saying, oh yeah, yeah, I kind of believe, He said, yes, I believe it to be true, and I will follow Jesus all the days of my life. If you haven't done that, then today, my friend, can be the day of your salvation. All you gotta do is in the quietness, even this morning, just asking him to be your Lord and Savior and surrendering yourself to him. If you want help with that, you can come to me. I'll be happy to talk to you and lead you in prayer. We're gonna have a prayer team right over here who would love to pray with you and pray that prayer with you and and, uh, help you with it. We're gonna have communion. Elders and deacons are gonna be serving. Um, Let's stand up and worship before we close today.